This is class, not a DAO meeting. So we're going to try to keep it, you know, more substantive on protocol and generally people's questions about anything at all. Um, and just for reference, there is a DAO meeting in an hour, uh, specifically a structuring call. So uh, those of you that have been part of the conversation on how to actually structure the DAO, um, that's next hour. So uh, we're going to try to keep this more on the question side. And there's been a ton of fun stuff going on over the past couple weeks. And if anything, this is the first class we've had in a while where there isn't anything urgent or immediately, you know, on our minds to talk about, uh, perhaps other than BIP7, uh, which, you know, went live around 24 hours ago or so, a little less than that. And I think overall it's been a big success. Um, I think people are seeing, and we're certainly seeing that this doesn't guarantee the price will always be at a dollar, which is great. Um, you still want some price discovery away from a dollar on both ends. But in general, it should result in a much tighter peg being held, uh, which when we talk about making beans attractive to other protocols, uh, that should go a long way towards that. So we're very excited about what Beanstalk is looking like and, and what the road ahead looks like. There's a ton, a ton of work to be done on growing the dev, building out the DAO infrastructure, a la the meeting that we're having in an hour. Um, tons of work on protocol integrations, getting Beans integrated uh, in various uh, Ethereum protocols. Uh, we're working on getting stock and seeds and silo Beans, liquid uh, and tradable. And then once those are live, getting those integrated with other protocols and projects. That's maybe three months down the road or so, maybe two months. Um, we're hoping to get stock and seeds starting to be liquid and stuff, maybe January. So maybe a month or six weeks. Uh, we don't want to be too aggressive and overpromise, but we're trying our best to move forward on that front. And the hope is then once all of those assets are fungible, uh, sort of running your DeFi yield strategies through the silo, where then you get stock and seeds and can use the stock and seeds and other DeFi protocols as well, that's where things get super exciting and things potentially can can really take off. So working towards that and and then at a at a at a higher level or maybe not a higher level but a lower level if you will, I'm thinking about the infrastructure of Beanstalk long term and how it applies to cross-chain uh relayer two infrastructure. So what we would generally call like X chain. Uh, and, uh, you know, we've been doing a ton of research and conversations on that end over the past couple of uh, weeks. And candidly, we've been very disappointed by the current options out there for decentralized bridging, uh, even between Ethereum and any other chain. Um, so we're, we're starting to try to figure out what this looks like. And it's going to require a ton of all of this stuff is going to require manpower uh like lots of effort and brain power and money um so with that in mind we're also putting the q1 budget uh we're starting to put that together and structure it and uh happy to talk about that as well um but that's like the the short version of what's been going on um you know we never want to oversell uh on Beanstalk, but we are very excited about what's going on. Uh, this is, we think we have a real opportunity here to make an impact in DeFi, uh, and it's very exciting to us. So uh, the most encouraging thing in our opinion is the really high quality, like we're, we're sort of amazed at the high quality community Beanstalk is attracting, and we think that's probably the best indicator of its success. So uh, we're gonna, over the next week or two, hopefully set up, uh, you know, start to get set up a notion. Uh, and the hope is to have like a really robust uh, notion and discord process for the Beanstalk DAO uh, to, to run uh, smoothly. This is all, we're working on all of this and lots of different people are working on different parts of this. So uh, 
enough said at this point as a as an intro but happy to answer any and all questions about anything going on and uh thank you guys for spending some time with us this the you know this evening or this morning okay well thanks or, or afternoon um, i guess it could be not the morning or the evening so just to be clear or the afternoon Thanks for that overview. It is great to have so much exciting stuff going on and to uh, not have any, you know, any, any things we need to talk about. So that means we can talk about some of the, some of the more fun stuff. So with that said, um, I'll open it up for people with, uh, with questions. You can raise your hand or you can put a question in the discussion board. I see here, um, let's see anything. I have a question actually, Dumpling, uh, mm -hmm. if I could chime in. Um, Perfect. Publius, I saw there was some discussion, I think uh, Theodore had asked in the questions channel about what a reverse season of plenty mechanism would look like in cases where the price or, or demand for bean is, is falling dramatically. I'd be curious to, I would love to hear you talk about that live and then also kind of what would happen to being like from an economic perspective and in the event of a like quote unquote bank run scenario that kind of uh, failed some of the algo stable coins that led to uh, Bean's inspiration, if you will. So the, the short answer is the way, just to answer your second question first, the way Beanstalk has worked is evidenced by like the pump and dump in September. And I think that's a really great data point for everyone to look at if they pull up their um, their website and go to the all-time price chart. The season of plenty that kicked in after the price went as high as $4 um, lasted for a couple hours. And then eventually, uh, sort of the people, all the apes that were rushing in were able to coordinate uh, getting the price below season for one season such uh, getting the, the t-wop for a season below a dollar excuse me uh, to restart the rain stock uh, so that they could start receiving eth from season of plenty uh and at that point uh it went it's once once they reset it then we went above a dollar again then the seasons of plenty kicked in and then we were back below a dollar and eventually after these couple of days i mean it was really like five or six days um, where there was just aggressive demand for beans, all these people realized we don't, we, we didn't make enough money. This is dead. Like we don't understand this for whatever reason, they all left. And what we saw um, is reflected over the next couple of weeks, this huge dip, there was an initial dip to 0.4 and there seemed to be like a, a quick rally back up to a dollar for a couple hours um, but then basically the, the apes continued to leave and leave and leave. And that was reflected in a, a major decrease in the bean price. Um, and over time by issuing, so now let's, let's try to just decipher a little bit of what happened. So if you go to liquidity and you go to the all time, you can see that in addition to just the price going high, there was a major increase and then a, a decrease in liquidity where uh, that exacerbated both the amount of beans that were printed at the beginning and then uh, just the the rush and the, the immediate decrease in price because there were more beans that were sold into less liquidity. And that resulted in a further decreased price. Um, but if we go to the field and we go to uh, the sown beans, uh, the fourth tab, and we go to all time, you can see that that was also how uh, the increase in sown beans was ultimately the main driver for um, the the bean price returning to a dollar. It was the ability of Beanstalk to attract uh, people to lend beans to Beanstalk uh, in the millions uh, that that ultimately led to the price returning to a dollar. So when you ask substantively, how does Beanstalk respond uh, in cases where there are runs on the bank? Uh, it does have short-term uh, price deviations from a dollar. And if anything, that's the main trade-off you make between a collateralized and a non-collateralized credit-based stablecoin is that liveness guarantee, where you may have hours or minutes or 
or even weeks where the price is below a dollar. And that's okay because you get all sorts of incredible benefits from it. And the decrease in liveness should decrease to near zero over time. Uh, but we're still at a period where there will be periods of non-liveness where beans isn't at a dollar like right now. Um, and to answer your first question about how would a reverse season of plenty work, so there's one thing to note about the season of plenty mechanism is that Beanstalk does it uh, only sort of in like a, a must a must sell scenario where you have all these apes that are clearly not in it for the long haul because they're buying it one four or one five or two dollars or three dollars or four dollars and they don't understand how the system works because no one would be buying at that price. So the point is Beanstalk is designed, A, not for those people who are apes and buying above one to make any money, but B, it's designed to disincentivize that from happening because one of the major problems that stable coins have is, algo stable coins specifically, is if you put into the rules, um, if the price is too high, increase the supply that creates inorganic demand anytime the price is too high or just the inflation rewards make it attractive enough uh, to join and having nothing to do with the long-term desire to hold or use uh, or invest in beans and so in that case scenario beanstalk basically says we will if no one else is willing to sell on the market we will beanstalk will mint beans and dump it on the market and then it will distribute the proceeds, which are Ethereum, to the holders of stock before it started to rain. And that's basically designed to disincentivize people from buying beans and depositing them when it's raining. Um, and the, the main reason why that wouldn't work in the reverse direction, which again is designed to greatly limit uh, inorganic demand, is because while there is such a thing as like inorganic decreases in demand, you might say, where the fact that the price is below a dollar results in a decrease in demand for beans. That's certainly true. Like There's no way for beans, or bean stock, I should say, to buy the price of beans back to a dollar. Um, like you need Ethereum to do that. So furthermore, we don't want bean stock to have in its rules uh, that it will spend Ethereum on anything because Ethereum is a valuable asset and can be like people will then try to game Beanstalk just to make it pay them Ethereum in whatever capacity. Um, whereas Beanstalk is happy to do that on the plus side with beans because it doesn't want the price to be above a dollar. Right? So it's happy to say like anyone who wants to sell before Beanstalk, you should sell. Like We're going to sell. So if you want to sell, you should sell. Therefore, the fact that Beanstalk is going to sell makes it highly likely that other people sell before Beanstalk, right? Because if Beanstalk is going to sell, you want to sell before to get a better price. So that dynamic should create an efficient market above one, unless you really do have crazy inorganic demand for beans, um, there's never a season of plenty. On the flip side, you can't really do that, where you have a run and people are selling beans in mass. There's no way for Beanstalk to sort of back up the truck on its own and say, we're going to backstop this. So BIP7 does alleviate that to some extent and does allow silo members to withdraw excess beans from the pool to return the price to a dollar. But at the same time, like the main mechanism underlying the stability remains Beanstalk's ability to attract debt. And in, in a healthy market, especially going forward, once Beanstalk is able to deleverage, one would expect there to be much more demand for soil. And in an environment where there is demand for soil, uh, you would expect Beanstalk to be able to regularly return the price to a dollar, independent of the amount of arbitragers that are playing the system. So when that's not the case, you do actually want, just from a macro perspective, like longer periods where you have a day or a couple hours where the price is not a dollar to flush out you know, bad bets and stuff like that. So not to get too meta on us, but that would be the equivalent of the Federal Reserve uh, not pushing their finger on the scales and greatly manipulating in the, the, the markets right now by just purchasing a ton of assets every month 
Like it's healthy to let things flush out. Right? There's there's benefits to letting the system clean itself out, and people that are over levered get flushed out because if you can't handle a price deviation for an hour or six hours, you're probably over levered. Right? The way the system works isn't designed to have minute to minute guarantees at a dollar. So uh, to some extent, there will be different uh, primitives and, and financial primitives specifically built on Beanstalk because of that, that liveness trade-off. Um, but at the same time, the sky is the limit because you don't have the supply limitation that comes from something like an ETH collateralized stablecoin. So that's uh, might have been a long-winded explanation, but I hope that was helpful. Yeah, that's definitely helpful. So is the kind of like high-level one-liner, there is always some weather rate that would incentivize sowers in the long run? Yeah, I, I would say the one-liner is you can't, one-liner is Beanstalk can't spend Ethereum unilaterally, right? There can't be a rule in the code to spend Ethereum. Okay, gotcha. That's Someone would take advantage of that. Yeah, and Syncubate want to invite you up here too. Sorry, I didn't mean to ignore you. Everyone will get a chance to participate, hopefully. Dean Merchant, what's up? How's it going? I actually have a question. I don't want to jump in front of anybody, though, but um, is Syncubate going to ask a question? Uh, we'll get you first, and then we'll do Syncubate right after. Okay, cool. My question is, uh, just if you would explain a little bit more, I think I've gotten a lot of questions recently around why credit-based stablecoins, you know, Beanstalk specifically, uh, are superior to the kind of collateralized models that dominate in the market. And so I wonder if you could just kind of at a high level explain, yeah, why is credit base so important? You know, why does this kind of flip the DeFi economics on its head? And I guess the specific thing in there is you mentioned negative carry costs. Could you just kind of explain, you know, what those are and why that matters? So let's think about this at, at scale, right? Die, there's billions of die. But why aren't there hundreds of billions of die? But the reason is there's not enough collateral to create enough die to meet demand. And so the same thing, even though it's at a lesser scale, applies to USD collateralized assets. Uh, but not really, because Tether and Circle, uh, they can't hold $100 billion in their bank account. Both of them have diversified their holdings. So in practice, there's just a general shortage of collateral available to create stable coins. And anytime you have a shortage of something, uh, it's gonna be reflected in a high price. So in the case of a collateralized stable coin that has sufficiently sound arbitrage opportunities to make the price stay at a dollar, uh, that will ultimately be reflected in borrowing costs, right? So the high price will be reflected in a cost to use it. So the negative carry costs are inherent to the collateralized model because there's simply not enough collateral to meet demand for stable coins. So whether you're using physical assets, whether you're using uh, digital assets, in general, there's just not enough collateral to meet the demand for stable coins. And so when you flip from a collateralized model to a credit-based model, go from having this supply shortage, which manifests itself in high borrowing costs, to having no borrowing costs and having positive carry, especially in a world where, uh, you know, the withdrawals from the silo are, are lower. Um, you think about it as like a normal checking account where you, uh, when you're spending money, you pull it out. And then when you're not spending money, you put it right in the silo and you earn positive carry based on the growth of bean stock and the bean supply over time. So as the system becomes more liquid, uh, this becomes a more natural, uh, just positive carry, inherently stable coin. Or when you're using it, you pull it out of the silo and you know the, the website, or hopefully there'll be multiple websites will facilitate the most efficient withdrawal uh, from a stock burning perspective. And then uh, whenever you make, make money or uh, win a bet or 
your 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 bets on the the NFL game on Sunday pay out, you put your money right back in the silo until next uh, next Thursday when you're betting on Thursday night football. So you go from a negative carry stable coin to a positive carry stable coin, where um, people aren't like hesitant to hold the stable coin; they're happy to hold beans. Awesome. That's a great explanation. Thank you. Okay, Syncubate. Go ahead. Hey, good evening. Do you hear me okay? Yeah, just speak up a little bit more so you're a little louder. Okay. We can hear you. All right, great. Um, yeah, thanks, everybody. Um, Publius, I just had a quick question for you. Uh, so my understanding is the protocol only mints beans when bean is above its peg. Uh, for an extended period and however in the field in the credit facility in the field um is there soil that's always available to be sown at any time regardless of whether what the bean price is the reason i ask is because does it i'm curious why doesn't the field shut off this the mechanism for issuing debt when the when bean is above its peg yeah, that's a fabulous question. And to some extent, uh, in a very short-term perspective, Beanstalk would be better off if that had been the case over the past couple of weeks. Because if anything, the main reason why, at least from an economics perspective, one might speculate we have been below peg for a couple weeks is because over the month while Beanstalk was really churning, uh, even after it had returned to peg and was significantly above peg because the field was still active and there was too much available soil Beanstalk issued like 200 million plus pods uh, that it didn't necessarily need to so to answer you substantively why is the why is there soil every season the reason is you need to price the weather so Beanstalk the way the model works is every season Beanstalk looks at three things it looks at the time-weighted average price, it looks at the debt level, and it looks at the changing demand for soil from season to season. And so specifically, in order to measure changing demand for soil, there needs to be some soil. There doesn't need to be a ton of soil, which unfortunately there was for a couple of weeks, which is fine. Um, in the grand scheme of things, we're still tweaking parameters, and we think F6 fixed that issue. Um, but at the same time, uh, you know, the, the benefit of having soil every season is it allows you to accurately de measure demand for debt, and therefore it allows you to accurately price the weather. Accurately pricing the weather is ultimately the thing that allows Beanstalk uh, to, over time, return to ideal equilibrium. So if it can't, if Beanstalk can't price the weather, it makes returning to ideal equilibrium a little bit more difficult. Okay, yeah, thanks for thanks for clarifying that. I'm just sorry. Yeah, the reason I brought that up is because I listened to your um, podcast um, discussion with Nasdaq, which I thought for anybody on this call, I think it's really informative discussion. I greatly, um, you know, recommend you guys listen to it. One of the points that you made in that discussion, Publius, and that's where I kind of thought about this question, is you mentioned in that discussion, and again, I'm quoting you out of context because it was it was a very long discussion, so um, don't mean to do that, but just be specific to this question. You mentioned that um, the one way Beanstalk fails, and this is said explicitly in the white paper, is if it can no longer attract creditors. So if that is because the pod line is so long that nobody thinks no matter what the weather is, it is attractive to lend to Beanstalk. If Beanstalk can't attract creditors, ultimately, that would be the kiss of death. So I guess my question, I'm trying to understand, is there a need for creditors when Bean is above one? Or would it make more sense to shut off the credit facility at that point and then reinstitute it, um, when it if it falls back below one? I'm just trying to understand. Um, well, it's a great question. So this actually reference uh, basis uh, had something closer to this model uh, that you're suggesting where sort of there wasn't any bond issuance when the price was 
above a dollar. And in our opinion, and, and this is a theoretical economic opinion, so um, it could be wrong, um, but in our opinion, the benefit of issuing soil, uh, so being willing to issue debt every season, even if it's a small amount, the problem before was that it wasn't small enough, um, but if it's a sufficiently small amount, it allows you, and when I say you, I mean Beanstalk, um, to measure accurately whether the weather can be lowered or whether it should be raised. And speaking just at a high level on the way that Beanstalk works, basically by changing the bean supply, the soil supply, and the weather uh, over time, specifically the weather over time, uh, Beanstalk hopes to to gen, gen, over time, like, push the system towards ideal equilibrium. So the natural flow of the system, and specifically whether the weather should be higher or lower, changes constantly based on an infinite number of factors, which are out of the realm of computation for, for something that happens on-chain. And accordingly, the way to simplify all of that Beanstalk just tries to figure out, should I raise the weather or should I lower the weather? And the only things I'm going to look at are the price, the TWAP, uh, the, pod, the pod rate, and the change in demand for soil over time. And so being a, like, that is an incredible simplification of an incredibly complex analysis you could be doing of the market. But by breaking it down into just those three data points, you're able to have Beanstalk take in a continuous stream of data over which it can continuously tweak the weather slowly over time. So it's 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 not necessarily the right answer, but the benefit of having soil every season is it basically allows the mechanism as it's designed, which again is as simple as humanly possible, to run. So the problem is that if your cost to run the mechanism is 200 million pods in two weeks, uh, you're you're an idiot, right? That's a bad mechanism. So we changed that. Uh, BIP6 changed that. So now going forward, uh, the pods that Beanstalk is willing to issue every season is only equivalent uh, to the amount of pods that were harvested at the beginning of the season. So even in scenarios like there were for two weeks where there was excess demand for soil every season, all the soil was getting filled, the pod line will stay exactly the same, and therefore the pod rate will start to decrease aggressively. So going forward, Beanstalk shouldn't have that problem, but candidly, that was a, a, a true inefficiency in the mechanism uh, up until BIP6. Okay, great. Thank you for that clarification. And I... Also, it, that you know, listening to that podcast, I think it's insightful for everybody to listen to that one. And I think the other one that you had with Brad, um, that was also insightful. I forget which one of them you mentioned in it, but I recall you mentioned something which I didn't consider before. The field is essentially also, aside from just being a credit facility, it's also a way for um, a creditor to essentially project their expected growth of the protocol. Right, because if you're willing to accept buying um, or sowing the field when the pod line is, let's say, roughly 370 million or wherever it's at right now, you're essentially projecting that, or you expect that the protocol itself will grow to roughly uh, 800 million dollars, right? S something like that. So um, I didn't consider that before, and I thought that was really interesting. So um, thank you for that clarification. Yeah, and and we definitely want to let other people chime in. But just on that note, we we just recently added uh, Bernoulli Bean, who I'm not sure if he's here, but he's going to start doing more analytics work. He has a great uh, economic uh, and math background to present more and more data like that, like the implied market cap on the pod line side and other things like that. So uh, appreciate that. Syncubate tremendously. Uh, and anyone else? Uh, so Evan, you're up here. Uh, and BP and Bean Boy, we'll, we'll get to all of you guys or, or gals. Hello. Uh, so I have a, a kind of a it, two questions. The first one can be a simple yes or no. 
Um, and then the second one is going to be the main question. So the first question is uh, when stock and seeds become tradable and when pods become tradable, um, will they be traded, exchanged for beans or like what will they be uh, exchanged with? So first off, just to clarify, pods can be transferred already, but agree, they're not tradable yet. There's no market. Um, the short answer is stock seeds, deposited beans, so silo beans, and the pod marketplace are all going to have native like trading against beans. So in the case of silo beans, stock, and seeds, we're going to integrate Uniswap V2 pools for those three assets against beans. Um, those three pools, uh, have you're going to be able to deposit the LP tokens for those pools into the silo and sort of like leverage up your stock and seeds. So you'll get stock and seeds for depositing and then you'll be able to earn them when you get deposited beans and, and get more stock and seeds. And so that will require a, a slight tweak to the incentive structure um, for like number of seeds and number of, uh, in terms of beans versus LP. Um, in general, the short answer is yes. The goal is to have everything start to trade against beans. Uh, okay, I uh, kind of guessed that. I just wanted to confirm. Um, and so my second question is, um, you mentioned earlier that the biggest difference between uh, collateralized stablecoins, uh, which is literally every other stablecoin out there, and uh, credit stablecoin uh, is that uh, is the uh, like there's never going to be enough collateral to meet the demand. And so with this credit-based model, um, I guess, how, how does the supply expansion for credit-based model look like? Because I think it's uh, quite fascinating that in the three months since uh, Bean has launched, I mean, you quickly reached, uh, like, if I remember from the charts correctly, like the 10 million mark, 25 million. Now Bean's at, like, I think 40 million supply, uh, peaked around 50 million. So it's growing quite fast. and. So what kind of, you know, is this kind of like the growth rate to expect like this kind of huge exponential growth because it's, it is a credit, uh, credit backed stablecoin? So I think the growth rate will decrease dramatically over time, but just the nature of, it's, you know, Italic has a great line uh, talking about, uh, in Shiba, you know, he says, uh, well, people look at Dogecoin, they say, well, that's worth a couple billion. Therefore, the second best dog coin should also be worth, you know, at least a couple hundred million. And Beanstalk has benefited from that to some extent. It, some people have been scared away, uh, but a lot of people uh, played ESD and, and Basis and similar assets. And ESD was worth a couple hundred million uh, at its peak. So to some extent, a lot of this initial growth and some of that like initial pump that took us to a $40 million market cap from a $2.5 million market cap to 40 in a couple hours. That was apes who thought this was ESD or thought this was basis. And over time, I mean, Beanstalk has grown much slower than those coins did uh, by design, and that's played a major factor in its ability to return the price to the peg. Not growing too fast when P is greater than 1 is... Uh, like we said, we're solving the stability problem starts. At the same time, you know, this is not a, it, it, it's, it's difficult to project over the coming, over the coming months, how quickly Beanstalk is going to grow beyond, you know, we think about things in terms of just the economics. The timing tends to be sooner rather than later because markets are pretty efficient, you know, um that's that's a separate issue which is right now you look at the debt side of things and you know none of this is financial advice this is just how we tend to think about some of this so there are 380 million pods and a 45 million bean supply so as syncubate was saying that's basically assuming that the bean supply if you're lending to beanstalk is going to grow to 805 million beans or 806 million beans which is a lot and so, so the short answer is when you already have a set of um, set of market participants that are pricing Beanstalk at that price, 
the question becomes, well, how does Beanstalk's internal economics work in terms of getting it there? And when we talk about BIP6, right, at some point when there's excess soil, uh, or excess demand for soil, excuse me, Beanstalk will no longer increase the pod line. So let's say now um, there's still 11 million soil, the pod, the weather is 2,700. So uh, roughly Beanstalk is willing to issue another 300 million pods at maximum. Now it may be less than that because the soil will decrease when the TWAP is greater than one. So let's assume another 200 million pods get minted or so. Now we're up to 600 million pods. And at that point, the price starts to really trend above one. Right? The, the, we, we, we get through all the available soil and we go through another mini growth cycle like the one we saw two weeks ago or three weeks ago. At that point, uh, the, the, pod, the pod rate will be something like 10 or 1200%, which is a ton. And at that point, the grand deleveraging begins. So when, because the pod line won't grow any longer, uh, from that point on, Beanstalk is sort of risk off. Where every time the bean supply increases, the pod rate decreases, and therefore it is deleveraging. So at that point in time, it's especially given with, with BIP7 Live, where now you have convert, where you're not going to have real time above one unless there's excess demand. Um, Beanstalk is going to start to grow and deleverage pretty aggressively, would be our guess. And at that point, how quickly, um, how quickly you know, it takes until until Beanstalk sort of deleverages all the way uh, remains to be seen. But it's probably going to be on the order of a couple of months, like sometime in Q1, Q2 at the latest. Um, and keep in mind, deleveraging all the way would mean that Beanstalk is a couple billion in supply. So deleveraging all the way would also result in the weather starting to come down really significantly. Um, and at that point, the hope is that Beanstalk will start to issue, you know, continue to issue a, a decent amount of debt so that the pod line stays at 600 million, even if um, the supply is up to a couple billion, right? So now you have a 50% debt ratio. Now you go down to, you know, oh my God, there might even be a season of plenty at some point. That's where then you start to get into the next debt cycle. Because if you have a, a major growth cycle from there, from a couple billion to five billion to a season of plenty, um, that would be when you would expect the system to start to delever or to, to lever, have to lever up again and issue credit more aggressively after that. So at that point, though, and I know this has been a lot, a, a roller coaster of a theoretical ride. Um, at that point, you would expect the system to start to stabilize a little bit more. Because if there are, are creditors, right, and Beanstalk just paid off 600 million pods, uh, now there's no pods because there was a season of plenty. And now it's like, okay, there's going to be a ton of demand for Beanstalk's debt going forward. At that point, you would expect the more efficient market dynamics to take place. And obviously, at that point, Beanstalk is operating more at scale. So you would have some real volatility around the season of plenty. Um, from there, things should stabilize around a dollar. And that's when things might become, you know, long-term stable, if you will, at a couple billion beans. So that's, that's a, a, a really aggressive vision that we laid out there, especially then to say that this will happen in the next six months. Um, that is the timeline that we're operating on to be candid. So uh, we're working our asses off to make sure that uh, the Dow scales to meet that and that the, the protocol and the development side of things scale to meet that. Uh, but it's not, you know, it's a lot of, there's a lot that needs to happen to get from point A to point B. And the main point is, even if the economics make that likely, the protocol in terms of the development of the protocol, the integrations, the, the, the audit, all of that stuff needs to happen in tandem such that uh, Beanstalk can, can grow in line with the economics, if that makes sense. Because no. growing to a billion when there's no growth in, in, the, in, the, in the fundamentals, that would be a problem. Right, right. And I'm glad you took us on the theoretical roller coaster. That's actually 
exactly uh, what I kind of came to the conclusion to and why I asked the question. And I guess to end on this note is I, you know, then it's my understanding then that uh, the stocks, seeds and pods, you know, once they have their own marketplaces, they're going to start taking up like relatively non-trivial amounts of or like starting to uh, create non-trivial amounts of demand for Bean to help get past that 1 billion mark. You betcha. And more than that, as people start to speculate on the stock price upward, the arbitrage opportunity to, to sell stock uh, for beans and deposit those beans uh, and mint more stock and seeds basically creates a ceiling on the price of stock and seeds relative to a bean and creates a positive upward effect on the demand for beans when there is demand for stock and seeds in silo beans. So people speculating on the future growth of bean stock will be reflected in the growth of beans itself and the bean price. Yes. Awesome. Thanks. Thanks for that question, Evan. That's some pretty exciting stuff. Um, all right. I have next uh, BP280 and then I have Bean Boy coming up. Hey, all. I actually was going to ask the exact same things as Evan. Um, so I was really glad to hear him ask that and hear the answers, but that kind of uh, cleared up what I was going to ask. So if I've got something else, I'll throw my hand up later. But, uh, you know, thanks for the thanks for the great answers and happy to be here. OK, great. Yeah, and not to uh, single anyone out or anything, but just BP280 and Evan, you guys both have been great new members or more active recently in the in the Discord and just wanted to say thank you. You, you guys are awesome. I, Happy this, to uh, be here. Yeah, um, this is such a great community. Um, everyone's here to learn more. And um, I, I see from the Dow side, and we'll get to this later, but that the, there's, a, there's a long journey to go. But, you know, it's an exciting journey to be on nonetheless. And yeah, how cool just, is this to have 43 people here for this call? Really, really amazing. I mean, just to put it into perspective, uh, a, a, a month ago, Dow was like five people maximum. And two months ago, it was just Publius. So this is growing so fast and we're so excited, uh, but it's going to take a real collaborative effort to get organized over the next couple of weeks. And we're hoping by mid uh, mid-January or so to have a real infrastructure in place. So the next month, as we've said, is going to be really hands-on uh, getting things set up, but uh, we can talk about that in, in, in the next meeting. So uh, Bean Boy, what's up? Uh, so I just want to actually double down on Bean Merchant's question earlier, kind of about centralized stablecoins versus decentralized stablecoins. So I guess my, my first question is like, um, like what, like how is this like a negative, uh, negative carry cost like reflected in, in the borrowing? Is this like, like people borrowing stable coins from USDC or Tether and like having to pay interest on those? That's, that's kind of my first question. My second question is like, by removing that negative carry cost and kind of creating this like positive network effect, I'm curious to know, like, what do you kind of see the impact being on like the wider like DeFi ecosystem by having like a truly decentralized kind of stable coin here. So to answer your first question, uh, it is reflected in the high borrowing cost to use stable coins. And that it, it's, it's sort of a catch 22, right? On the one hand you have, maybe it's not a catch 22. We'll, we'll We'll figure that out in a second. But um, when you have a shortage of supply, um, that has to manifest itself in some capacity. And so when I, there, it's really two separate effects that are, are working in the same direction, not a catch-22. So one is the shortage of supply where there's excess demand for stuff, right? So when you have too much demand, people are willing to pay a premium for something. And the fact that, people are willing to pay a premium for something like USDC. But keep in mind, the arbitrage opportunity uh, where you can, if the price is too high, uh, effectively mint more USDC, like deposit something with Circle and then sell it on the open market, that arbitrage opportunity should, in theory, keep the price 
at a dollar. And it seems to do that. And therefore, the the excess demand for the stablecoin isn't isn't demonstrated in its price. Um, it's demonstrated in its excess borrowing costs. So if you go to somewhere like Aave or Compound and you look at the cost to borrow USDC, uh, Tether, uh, or Dai, the borrowing costs are just crazy high. Uh, especially compared to the cost to borrow U.S. dollars in the physical world, which are basically 0%. You go from 0% to 10 or 20%, that's nuts. That's nuts. And that's de you know demonstrative of just a crazy imbalance of supply and demand. The second way that this plays out is when you have a stable coin that has negative carry, um, that has a cost to use in the sense that there's other... There's other people that want the stablecoin to use it. So you, there's never a time that you're just going to have the stablecoin sitting in your pocket, right? It actually plays out in another area, which is you, you end up not being able to use your stablecoin for much because now you don't just evaluate the productiveness of your stablecoin against, you know, its purchasing power. You evaluate it what, when factoring in the borrowing costs, or at least the opportunity cost that you could get for lending it out. So now betting on Sunday football has to factor in the fact that I'm paying 10% a year on, on my stablecoin, right? So I don't want to hold money in a in a the equivalent of like a FanDuel account where I'm paying 10% a year. So the 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 point is, and you may say, and this this is actually the main segue into your second question which is, well, isn't there that same opportunity cost by leaving the silo? To some extent, yes. But A, uh, the point is you don't need to give up your stablecoins uh, to participate in the yield uh, because you can just deposit your beans in Beanstalk natively, whereas in other protocols you have to lend, you know, give it to another protocol. Beans are native to Beanstalk. Um, the second thing is, like, like we've seen over the past couple weeks, the price of bean has been at or below a dollar. There hasn't been much inflation, right? And so in an environment where the silo really goes through short-term bursts of growth, but in general, it doesn't, doesn't grow all the time, most of the time, it'll make sense for you to be using your stable coins, using your beans. And then if if things are popping and the silo is growing, you may want to deposit your beans in the silo for a couple of days, but there's going to be a real use case for just using your beans across DeFi. So without giving like the grand, you know, beans are just going to become part of every single protocol and stock and seeds are going to be widely integrated and stuff like that. Just talking more at the micro level, I really do think that beans have the opportunity to change Sorry, change the game for DeFi by by making uh, making the economics of betting on Sunday football positive, and all and and I'm using Sunday football as like a ridiculous example because obviously economic uh, uses that are less day to day and 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 retail make more sense. But the the use case is there, right? If you can make Sunday football betters like using Polymarket or Augur make that doable uh, and economically viable, then everything else is viable on top of it. So that's sort of how we think about it. Really great. Th thanks for answering that question. I really appreciate that. Publius, I think in one of your early podcasts, you mentioned Augur and the relative, the almost failure of it, not that it failed, but that it didn't succeed as much as it should and largely because of that negative carry. Um, and I think that was really instructive. It'll really open up a lot of things in DeFi when we have, when beans are the native uh, stablecoin. Um, all right, next we have uh, Mod323. Hi guys. And after that we'll have uh, Windy if we have time. Can you hear me? Yes. Great. Um... Hi, Publis and the rest of the team. Uh, thank you very much uh, for having this and, and, and for the, the whole community. It's been great. Um, 
you know, I'm new here, uh, just catching up uh, with everything, and, and it's been really uh, great seeing uh, the work uh, that you're doing. Um, the question that I have, okay. uh, I wanted to expand uh, on a question from um, someone else I was asked, I think, um, a few weeks ago, uh, which is about the monetary policy uh, of, of uh, uh, Beanstalk. So I, I understand uh, you, had, you had answered that, Publius, and you said that we don't have uh, a monetary policy. Uh, uh, and, and I just wanted you to maybe explain this better for, for, for us to, or for me to understand it. Um, if we were to imagine that there's a country, um, you know, bean uh, country that uses uh, uh, beans as, as its currency that's pegged uh, to the dollar, just like, you know, other countries uh, who do that, what are the similarities and the differences uh, uh, between us and them? Okay, so, you know, to answer... At a, at a like an from an a theoretical economics level, the question that was asked was concerning the, the possibility trinity or the yes. impossible trinity related to the ability for for um basically a, a central bank or a currency issuer um to be in control of its own monetary policy uh, and maintain the price of the the currency that they issue at the same uh, at some sort of target and have the free flow of exchange right so you can't have all three uh, at once and the specifically the question was asking well how is it that beanstalk is able to maintain the price at a dollar when countries like russia for example and britain uh, have famously had their currencies depegged uh, due to the, th the theoretical impossibility trinity, right? And uh, our answer to that is that we would argue that Beanstalk isn't actually setting its own interest rate. That is really where there is a main difference. So in the case of a country, for example, um, and let's talk about why a country might want to set its own interest rates. Um, in general, the cost of capital is, is fundamental to a country's economy. So when you have uh, a, a debt-based, borrowing-based economy, like most of the world has, um, most investment is made on borrowed capital. And the assumption on that borrowed capital is we're going to borrow capital invested and in the future make more money on, on our investment when we factor in the cost of capital, the interest rate um, on our investment. And so in order for an economy to grow um, healthily, there needs to be a sufficient return on those investments that are made with debt in order to pay back the debt, right? And the problem that often happens is that uh, when economies start to slow down, uh, basically investments that were made in places that might not have yielded such a high return for whatever reason are no longer able to pay back their debt uh, having made money. And in those scenarios, that is where the ability to toggle your own monetary policy and adjust your own interest rate becomes fundamental. And central banks have varying degrees of success use this toggling of adjusting the interest rates, adjusting the cost of capital to basically allow the economy to pull forward uh, future gains and, and, and sort of lever up the expected return that is necessary on future investment to pay back today's loans. Um, but, but it can sort of decrease the amount of returns that you need by decreasing the interest rate. So from a macro perspective, just as a note, you would look at the fact that currently interest rates are basically zero across the world is an indication that none of the investments that have been made over the past 10 or 20 years have, have been enough to pay off their interest. And accordingly, now the only way to keep the system solvent is to have everyone roll over all of their debt at a 0% interest rate. So uh, there's no new cost to rolling over debt or taking on new debt, which is a very scary thought. So without commenting more about the general economic situation, uh, the reason Beanstalk isn't the same is 
Beanstalk doesn't say we're going to lower our weather or we're going to raise our weather uh, because we want to. Um, that would be much closer to what the what the system, like what 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 central bank operators do, where when the system is levered up, they're able to take their foot off the gas. That would be, and this is where it will become apparent what we're talking about, how this is not the same. Um, and we're not solving the impossible ability trinity because we don't control our own monetary policy. Right now, Beanstalk is super levered, right? And uh, there's a high debt rate, uh, there's a high weather. And so if, if Beanstalk were in control of its own monetary policy in the traditional sense, uh, it would lower the weather. It would lower its cost of capital. And in that case, you know, since it's a country and it's in control of its economy and it assumes there's demand for its debt, that's the fundamental part that violates the impossibility trinity. Why, you, if you're Russia, you can't do this on a sustainable basis. If you lower the interest rate, people may look at that and say, we have no interest in your debt anymore. And so while, while these countries may choose to do that, uh, ultimately, it's to their detriment. And accordingly, uh, you know, you've seen like world famous depeggings, like, uh, like we've mentioned in Russia and the UK and the like. Um, so the short answer is Beanstalk doesn't do that. Beanstalk doesn't lower the weather right now. Beanstalk continues to, on a slow basis, raise the weather because the price is too low and the demand for soil isn't high enough and isn't increasing. And until it does, it will continue to adjust the weather to try to meet whatever the market is pricing the necessary weather at, um, independent of what Beanstalk would like to happen. Uh, and in this case, it would like to lower the weather, but that's not possible, if that makes sense. So where we would say Beanstalk compromises is it is not in control of its monetary policy. Okay, thank you, uh, Publius. I'll, I'll, I'll do more reading uh, about this, um, given the examples that you've shared. And if I have follow-up questions, I'll, I'll post them on, on the channel. Uh, I appreciate your, your lengthy answer. Uh, thank you for that. Our pleasure. Um, so uh, we, we, we do have this other DAO structuring meeting in just a second. Um, uh, Publius, I... real, real quick, that's not, until, uh, that's not until 8.45, so we have a couple of minutes. Uh, wiggle room. Oh, fabulous. So... Um, why don't we, Wendy, what's up, Wendy? Yeah, hey guys, I jumped on a little bit late. I just, just a quick one with regards to hosting the Beanstalk website. Uh, I don't know if you're aware, but the, the UN can now censor websites at the DNS level. Just wondering if you've thought about hosting it maybe on IFPS or something like that. So we're definitely going to hopefully move the website to Arweave. And at some point now, uh, given the permanent nature of our weave, we, we want to get the website to a, a little bit of a better place before then. Um, but yeah, talking about being stuck getting to a billion beans in the next six months, this is something that's certainly on our mind. And in fact, hold on, um, maybe we can even drop this. This is fun. We were just experimenting with um, with our uh, weave today, uh, and we dropped the the beanstalk white paper. Uh, on our weave, I believe. Um, so we can try to find that and drop a link for you um, somewhere. But we're getting we're experimenting with that, and uh, you know it's definitely top of mind is the short answer. And furthermore, just as a side note, once the website is open sourced, um, then even if one DNS is 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 blacklisted. Uh, that won't be a problem because people can run the website locally or lots of different, uh, you know, DAOs uh, or independent people can maintain their own their own version of the website and, or, or server hosting the website. Awesome. One question that was posted uh, to the discussion board is, Publius, how many other BIPs do you have in mind at the moment? Um, so, like, I mean, <laughs> there's, uh, you know, not to, not to cause uh, uh, sort of the opposite of a magician, right? We don't want to have aces up our sleeve in the traditional sense where you have no idea where it's coming. Our hope is to have aces up our sleeve like the convert bit where we've been talking about it for a while and 
when it's appropriate sort of implement things based on the specific situation Beanstalk is in at the moment. So the hope is, <coughs> excuse me, the hope is to get Beanstalk to a place where it no longer needs any tweaks to the model. Uh, we're a long way away from there. Um, so so many different places where the incentives can be slightly tweaked to be more efficient or the system can be less have less friction in it. Um, to, to name them all would be uh, an exercise in futility. Um, but like we're, we keep we are a like actively building out a list of what those bits look like and trying to organize it and B uh, focused on building out a real backend core developer set that can a group of developers that can, can start to implement lots of these bips and Beasley and Leo Fib are are two really fabulous backend devs that are starting to do that. So to ramble off sort of just off the cuff some of the stuff that we are working on in the near future um or or hope to work on in the near future and across you know some of them may be sooner some of them may be later um we want to lower the withdrawals and stop timer uh down to four uh seasons and then at some point down to zero um doing that and making sure that the incentives aligned like like making making it such that you can withdraw at any time would result in beans even if they're awarded in a season like being paid out pro rata over a week, perhaps. Um, so there's like things like that are not so technically easy to implement efficiently on Ethereum. So it takes a little bit of development time, but uh, we're thinking of like in the short term, we're probably going to propose a bit to lower the withdrawal time to as low as four and then try to get it below that even. Um, speaking a little bit more on the efficiency, we want to make it such that people can withdraw Ethereum from Beanstalk not even withdraw beans and have to sell the beans. So you deposit Ethereum, you withdraw Ethereum. Um, we want to make farmings like slash updating your silo optional across all of your transactions. Um, where Beasley has been working on a, a, a bib to allow you to uh, like partially claim plots and withdrawals. So you can leverage bib two um, pieces at a time. And if there's any remainder that doesn't go into your wallet, um, there's we we think that SOP beans, uh, you know, like season of plenty beans that are sold into Ethereum should be like in lieu, like not additionally minted, but just in lieu of some of the beans distributed to the silo. That's a pretty easy change. Um, we want people to be able to claim their Ethereum from seasons of plenty and use like like Bib2 in an efficient transaction, uh, simultaneous voting. Uh, there's so many different things that uh, we want to add in addition to making all the assets fungible and stuff like that. We want to add an Oracle suite to support lots of integrations. We want to roll out factory contracts for other protocols to integrate stock and seeds, which are yield bearing assets. So making it easy for them to do that in a way that they can earn beans and stock and seeds from their like yield generating assets and roll them into other protocols. Uh, that will will help growth. So there's, you know, I'm rambling a little bit here, but there's just an endless, an endless, not to call it endless. There is an end. It's just, it's not in sight in the moment. And we're talking about there's like over the next six months, in addition to the integration front, in addition to the multi-chain front, um, there will be a lot of just continual tweaks and improvements to Beanstalk to put it in a position to, be able to run 100% autonomously at some point. Okay, that's a great answer and very exciting. Um, well, I'm going to check the discussion board, see if there's anything else. Actually, I have, <clears throat> I have one quick question if we have uh, an extra few minutes. If, if there's nobody else, I don't want to cut anyone. Yeah, go ahead. Thanks. Um, so the one thing that uh, I was just hoping to learn a little bit more about, I, I think I have a basic understanding, but um, I'd love to hear it in your words, just kind of what, how you would explain uh, the curve integration and kind of what purpose it serves and why, why it's good and, and all that kind of stuff. So 
similar to, like, let's just talk about Uniswap V2 for a second. So the X times Y equals K curve is, like, really innovative and amazing uh, and has enabled so many incredible like, autonomous Xs in DeFi. At the same time, it's pretty, pretty damn inefficient, right? So we've experienced, even when you have, you know, we, we have millions of dollars of liquidity in the Uniswap V2 pool, uh, like 100,000 being trade Sorry, uh, my, my microphone's getting messed up. 100,000 being trade moves the price pretty significantly. Curve stable swap is much more efficient when handling uh, larger trades at similar volume. And we expect that will result in basically the price oscillating a lot tighter to one and provide an arbitrage opportunity against where the Uniswap V2 pool can be arbitraged against the curve pool, which will trade against one much tighter. And therefore, the Uniswap pool will also be able to trade much tighter to a dollar. That's a great explanation. Thank you. Okay, well, I think we can uh, probably wrap up here, given that we, we want enough time for the people to get over the down meeting. Um, so, yeah, I want to thank you all for coming. I'll give Publius a few minutes to, um, to wrap things out. I do want to say that everyone who came should have at least the humble farmer role on their, uh, on their profile, so you can check that. Um, we're looking to kind of update those as people go and uh, make a more formal system for, for the roles. but. You know, everyone who's who's making the effort to come to meetings like this should at least be a humble farmer. So if not, uh, send me a message. Um, and uh, over to Publius. And then everyone here is welcome to come to the DAO structure meeting, which is after this, uh, held in the barnyard. So thank you, Dumpling. Uh, thank you, everyone, for coming and for your fabulous questions. Oh, we're sorry if we weren't able to get to everyone. Um, just we would use this as a call to action uh, as we've made you know previous times we've we've had a large group uh, or audiences there's so much stuff to get done across across the board here over the next couple months to get beanstalk and beans to become ubiquitous across DeFi, and uh, we're, we're really encouraged by the really high quality community that is aggressively forming around beanstalk it's really mind-blowing and uh it's amazing to us and we're super excited about it uh, but but it, it is going to require people to step up and to say i am i want to help and then here's i want to help doing xyz and uh over the next month it's going to continue to be a little bit disorganized but uh things will come into place and and uh we would just encourage everyone that wants to get involved to to make it known and drop your 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 skill sets and skill set volunteer uh, that channel. Uh, reach out to Dumpling. Reach out to us. Um, make it known that you want to help uh, and what your skills are, and you know we'll try to make it happen. So this is super exciting, and we look forward to uh, to talking to everyone again soon.